I want to I want to dig into Matthew chapter 14. So go ahead and turn there. I was going to start sharing something, but I want to get into Matthew 14 first. Here here's the context. And 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 I'll share this cuz I know you guys probably don't have any struggles in this area. But for for me, I have struggles sometimes with trusting God, thinking that I've got things under control, that I understand it, that I know here are all the plans that I've put together, God, so here, you can go ahead and just press the button and hit play, and my life will be perfect. Now, in reality, that's not how things work, but that's how all of us... Now, raise your hand if that's not what you want your life to be. No, if it's not what you want your life to be. Of course, we all want to press the button and make it happen how we want. Nobody in here is going to say, you know what? I just want everything to be a surprise all day, every day, and I don't want my way. I just always want God's. If you raise your hand, there's, we'll pray for repentance afterwards. It's hard. We'll give 98% sometimes. We'll give 99%, but there's always something that God exposes. Through all the the teachers that were here, uh, uh, teaching in the pulpit here, while I was gone, there's a a theme in, in a set of messages that God will always expose the one thing that's holding us back from that devoted life with Him. And it may be something different tomorrow. Why do I say that? We are all really, really good at exchanging who should be on the throne. I had a, I had a quote I got a chance to teach in uh, the church that we came from, that we were sent out from in Melbourne, Florida. And I said, every single one of us tries to take the throne of God and believe that it's a, a chair made for two cheeks, as long as one of them's mine. And God, you can have this part too. That's often how we want to rule our life. Well, God, you can do it as long as, well, hold on, wait a second, that was the wrong thing to do, God. And we'll push them off. And for some of us today, that might not... No, Joe, no, you don't get it. I really am devoted to God. I'm completely committed. He could do anything, anything in my life, and I will still love Him and serve Him. I could list off a couple things that would make you doubt right now. Why? Because you're not holy. No, because you're human. So Matthew 14, let me give a backstory here. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 22. But Jesus starts off Matthew, and he goes into, and the the gospel records that the Sermon on the Mount goes on for chapters. And the Sermon on the Mount gives basically the rules and operations, the standard operating procedures of the kingdom of God. And when those, those things are communicated and taught, Jesus now goes into practical application time. Now, if school was only simply transmitting information and never the opportunity to take that information and apply it, wait, we'd have what we have today. No, we'd, we'd have, we have to have a test, right? You know, our theology, our, our view of God is completely useless unless it's tested. It has no impact unless it's applied. It's like keeping chapstick in my pocket in the middle of the winter while my lips look like I have leprosy. Use the chapstick. you got to apply the truth that God gives. And so Jesus takes them through a series of situations that are applying the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 14 begins 
with the murder of John the Baptist. It then continues with Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. And what's interesting is at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, you don't have the disciples stopping and going, you're incredible. They're walking home with a bunch of doggy bags, though. Each one of them took home a bunch of food. So then you get into verse 22. And Jesus says this, or it says this about what Jesus did. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Who made the disciples get in the boat and who sent the disciples? Jesus. Underline that, circle it, rip it out and staple it on your forehead, whatever has to happen to remember that Jesus sent them, he ordained it knowingly to get in the boat and go ahead of him. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Wind was against them. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night is just before sunrise. They're not on Alaska time. It wasn't evening at 2 a.m. and then sunrise at 3 a.m. That's, they, they were in regular time. But I want to share, us, share with us something, a point to remember to start off this morning. It, it has to do with the mission of Jesus. And the reason I had us underline and circle and focus on that specific item was the first point for this morning, and it's this. Jesus is always sending us out, and, and capture this, it's in caps for a reason, on his mission not ours. Now, if you're not a Christian today, that doesn't apply to you. Life's easy. Do whatever you want. And I'm serious. You don't don't have anything to worry about. But if you really are a Christian and you claim to be a Christian and you want to follow Christ, this is the reality of Christianity. Jesus is always, always, always sending us out on his mission, not ours. So the beauty of that statement, similar to the song we just sang, is that if something doesn't go right in my view, well, he's the problem. No. He has a problem, meaning he fixes it, he ordains it, he takes care of the situation, no matter what my opinion is. He's in charge. He has a mission for us. And I want us to realize a fact. I I think in in church circles and Christianity in general, we get caught up in this, well, joy is different than happiness. Joy is this and joy is that. And there are some differences. I agree. But the reality is of how we experience joy in our life, here's really the best way to look at it. Happiness and joy come from our desires being met. Well, tell me if I'm wrong. Of course that's the case. See, the problem isn't happiness and joy. If it is, then we're seeking those things wrong. The title of today's teaching is Don't Seek Joy. Don't seek joy. Happiness and joy come from our desires being met. Think right now of a desire you have. And if it was met, would you feel happy? Of course. Would you feel contentment in the situation? Absolutely. If you're hungry and you start to eat, most of us eat until we're content. Sometimes contentness is different for different people. I've got a couple teenagers. There is no such thing as contentment for them. It's incredible how sometimes we forget 
The problem is not happiness and joy. The problem is the next point here. If you want everlasting joy, make God's desires yours. See, the problem is the desire. Remember we talked a couple weeks back. One of the things we brought up was this, this concept of who's number one in your life. The problem isn't the position, it's the person. I'm always going to have to deal and fight with who is on the throne. The throne isn't the problem. There's always going to be a number one. Who is it? There's always going to be desires. Who governs them? Who defines them? That's the key. When we think of joy, when we think of this situation, these, these guys could have looked back in the middle of the storm and go, listen, I don't know why we're in this, and, and, and it's, it's horrific, but Jesus sent us. Well, maybe I didn't row correctly. Well, you know, that's the legalist in the boat, right? I'm, you were rowing backwards, John. No, Jesus sent me. But it's terrible. Jesus didn't say, come unto me, and I will make life. He actually promised the opposite. Come to me, and my burden, it'll be light. But they're also going to kill you and try and torture you for my namesake. Because God doesn't promise happiness. Let's look at what happened here. The NET Bible has a great translation of this. You'll see it up on the screen. When evening arrived, his disciples came to him saying, This is an isolated place. Hours are late. Send the crowds away so we can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They started in the evening. The sun was already setting. Everything had completely finished for what was happening there. Jesus was engaged in them. What was the first thing they did? They didn't go and ask Jesus. The problem in this boat started further back. They weren't recognizing who they were with. Jesus, um, let's go send them away. Let them go find their food. No. So then it continues on. We read here. They sent the multitudes away in verse 23 after he had cared for their needs. Jesus is praying. He's in the evening. He comes down from prayer and he goes, man, looks like it really stinks out there in the boat. But what did Jesus do in the evening? Nothing. Look at that. Verse 23, he says, the evening had come. He was alone there. But the boat was in the middle of the sea. And Jesus quickly got his helicopter and flew out and rescued them from the terrible time because they're supposed to be happy. Is not what it says. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, just before sunrise, Jesus says, okay, now. Now it's time. Now, as a Christian, I look at this and I think of my life. I think of a situation where I know I did not call out to God soon enough. I know I said, God, I've got a whole box of solutions over here. Let me try one more. And still, I failed. And then eventually I called out to him. I I wonder, it's not here in Scripture, we don't know, but I wonder if in our own life, if this was going on, had they called out sooner, would Jesus have walked? Had they actually stopped trying to fix the problem themselves and called out to Jesus, had we heard about him walking? He saw them out there, they were screaming for his name, and he sat there and watched them suffer. No, that's not how Jesus works. 
See, I'm, I'm reminded that same thing is God doesn't try and torture us and toy with us. The same thing goes back to his goal that his promise to us is to make us holy, not happy. Now, it is depressing how often, both in the world and in churches, that that, is, that opposite is taught. That if you're not happy, then life must not be right with God. No, 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 no. The Bible says there's a living hope, and it doesn't rest in this world. God didn't say, I came to save the building that was burning. He said, I came to save the people from the burning building. That was his goal. That's always been his people. So as he's looking out here and he's seeing them struggle, he could look at that and go, my kids aren't happy. I need to make them happy. Parents, listen. Your job is not the happiness of your children. Your job is the holiness. And there's a tremendous amount of suffering that your kids should go through at a young age in your home, understanding the rules of God, obeying and respecting you so that later on in life, holiness is happening and they're useful in the kingdom and not a burden to society in the kingdom. That's a passion I have in my own heart. That's the job of the church is to raise up those people and mentor and guide them in all of those things. And something I can't understand about agape, while it's conditionless on my foolishness, and he says he still loves me, it's also conditionless on some of his own feelings itself. I know that God has compassion. It says he has compassion. But God's love is able to watch us suffer now, knowing it'll change us for eternity, and I don't understand why. I'm not okay to do that with my own kids or friends sometimes. It's hard sometimes, to watch the struggle. But can I look beyond the now to know what God will do? I was presented with that same argument. Three hours into our vacation, my son falls out of a tree, turns his arm backwards, tweaks his wrist, uh, trashes his elbow, broke his humerus, uh, his ulna, and his radius. All the, the, all, everything is just a mess. He's got a bowling ball for an elbow right now. And I'm looking at that going, all I want to do right now is hold him up and just magically make all the problems disappear. And I could have sat there and said, poor baby, you poor thing. I, I can't believe this happened to you. This isn't fair. Or I could have said, son, let me pray for you. Let's get you the doctor. And then let's find out what's God want to say to you in this. What are you learning in this? It's not my job to make him feel good. It's my job to direct him to a Savior who saves him for good. And that's not easy. That's not easy at all. But when he comes to you a couple weeks later and says, hey, Dad, I was reading this in my devotion, that's impactful. When someone texts a devotion to me and says, share this with your son, and the son goes, wow, that makes a lot of sense. God's speaking. We could have made him happy, given him lollipops and toys and carried him around in a chariot and all these things so that you wouldn't feel the sufferings of life and introduce him to reality that doesn't exist anywhere. Or we could have said, you're right, son, life is terrible, but God is awesome and he is good all the time. But what's the choice we have? So when we look at God as a God who desires for us to be holy, we realize sometimes it takes us a long time to deal with the separation from our own desires and the incorporation of his. That holiness process is not easy, but God says he promises to finish it in Philippians chapter 1. Here's the challenge, though, is that while I look at these men in the boat, and I think, man, they had all night to call out to God, all stinking night. 
And I think of myself. Jesus wasn't toying with them in their trouble as he watched them. That's not his goal. That's not his desire. He wasn't sitting here going, oh, you know, I, I really hope they just learn a lesson here. You know, they should have said I was amazing back when I did the loaves and fishes. They should have said that I was so incredible. But no, he takes them consistently through all of these scenarios of seek me first and all these things will be added. Seek me first, not row harder, seek me first. He may say row harder afterwards, but seek him first. That was only a few chapters back in the Sermon on the Mount. What's our focus? What's our number one? See, we often take too long to let our desires go and call out to Jesus. We often look at a situation and think that it, it's just simply not, we're not able to do it. It's not going to happen. And then we go, okay, fine. God, I couldn't figure it out, so I'm giving it to you. I'm quoting myself, by the way. We all do it, though. We all do it. Verse 25. Go back to Matthew 14, verse 25. We just read it. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Here's the thing, though. If I'm Jesus, I'm messing with them. I'm not answering them when they yell out. Like, who is that? I'm out there going, ooh, messing with them. Going up and down, you know, and maybe turning upside down and walking on my hands. Because I'm mean. But that's not what Jesus does. He he could have sat there and walked along and be like, hey, 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 you guys want to do this? Hey, you guys want to do this? Hey, check it out. Look what I can do while the waves are crashing over their little boat. That's what I would have done. In fact, this is so funny. You can do it in the pool or the ocean or a lake when you're swimming. Isn't it funny to go underneath that person that's on an inner tube or, or a, a stand-up paddleboard or something and just kind of hit underneath and knock them while they're, they're somewhat precarious? That is absolutely the best thing in the world. Especially when they fall in the water and you grab their leg and they can't see what's doing it. There's always something evil in the water that wants to eat you, no matter where you live. That's what I would have done to the boat. I would have gone underneath it like Jesus just started shaking it even more, you know, and hitting it and knocking it and making noises. But Jesus doesn't toy with us. What happens? He continue on here. You'll see it right here. Verse 27, it says, But immediately, Jesus immediately responded and spoke to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do you know what that phrase really is? The I am is here. The I am is here. The I am is here. Yahweh is here is what he's saying. That's a massive theological point. I'm getting goosebumps. I just can't go into it. At some point, I will. It's huge. The I am is here. Do not be afraid. Sound familiar? Joshua, Deuteronomy. He's saying the same thing. The all-becoming one is here. All that you could ever need is here. Go back to courage, he says. Go back to courage. Let your heart be filled up with courage. It's phenomenal to me to think of this because just like, and I didn't even coordinate with these guys. I love how the Spirit works. Just like that song sang, we don't fear anymore because we're a child of God. 
That's why Jesus said it. He said, listen, you, you, got, you guys have fear. Don't. That's not that easy, Joe. God is here. Everything is falling apart, is it? Did you all of a sudden get a letter in the mail and go, hey, living hope, revoked? <laughs> then all hope is gone. If you get a letter from Jesus going, hey, listen, man, you, you messed up for the last time. I'm, I'm completely done with you. I cannot handle you anymore. Then you should be freaking out. But if every single thing in our life fell on its face, we still have God. That's easy to say, Pastor. I've been there. I've been there paralyzed on my back in bed with a broken leg, with the roof leaking on me, with a wife who was struggling with her own faith at the time, nothing negative against her in this, my own children struggling through different things. We had a roofer come out, tried to fix the roof, paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, didn't fix it. And I yell out in frustration, God, what do you want? Well, I've got medical bills that are not being paid because, ah, insurance, right? That their job is to cover you or run from it. They chose the other, the other. Wondering why, what's going to happen with this? I'm at the end of short-term disability. I have to go back to work. All these things going on. But God was still there. And I wish I would have cried out to him sooner in the storm. Because he's always faithful to answer. See, I want us to realize something about Jesus and storms and, and things in our life. He, he rarely arrives when we want. Keyword but he's always on time. God, this is a good time to show up. It's a really good time to, to do what I say, God. God, are you listening? Realistically, it's Joe, are you listening? And, and when I look at this in our life, Jesus could have showed up at any point in time if the goal was to make them happy. But the goal was not to make them happy. The goal was to make them holy. And in order to be holy, you have to be set apart, completely devoted, have your allegiance 100% set on him. But they had to row first. And man, if it wasn't for Peter. We make fun of Peter, but that man has stood up and said things and done things not one of us have done. Well, actually in Alaska we do. We walk on water for six to seven months out of the year. We can't make fun of Peter. We can't. He stands up in this. He's, he's, he hears his voice, and Peter says this in verse 28. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. I'm not going to do it on my own, but if you tell me to, I'll obey. So what does Jesus say? Go ahead. Try it. And what does he say? Come. Come out here. Come here. Again, Jesus' command includes provision. He provided for him. We'll see here in just a minute a miracle, but I want us to understand something. That the disciples didn't see Jesus early on when they were complaining, it's, it's a ghost. They didn't see Jesus because they weren't looking for him. And I've had this conversation with people so many times. I've had it in counseling. I've had it just on the street. Where was God? Where is God when? looking for him. I had a friend of mine for 41 years walked in darkness when I went to witness to him and talk with him. He said, Jojo, 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 if God was real, he would have answered all these things that I've 
asked him to do for me in my life. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, one time I wanted him to, to believe. I had someone visiting my house. They were talking to me about Jesus. I looked out my window and I said, if God is real, have him turn on that street light. Street light didn't turn on, so God isn't real. You're in a house that's already lit. Why would he need the street light? It's daytime. I said, you didn't really want to hear from God. You wanted to be right. You didn't want him to be right. He's not going to play games with you. But if you genuinely ask him, it'll happen. You know what happened in his house three years ago, or three years later, he got saved. And he's witnessing to one of his sons who's sitting here blaspheming God's name. And he, his son said, fine, dad. I, I know something's different about you. That if God is real, I have to see it. Something amazing has to happen. Power shuts off in the house. Lights turn back on. The fans are turning backwards. He looks up at the fan because it had stopped and then starts spinning the other way. He goes, I want to pray. Now, there's probably multiple reasons why he wants to pray because you're watching like Exorcist or something like that. Praise God, actually, all of his kids now have accepted Christ. But he was so frustrated, he's like, you know, I guess my problem was when I told God to turn on the streetlight, I didn't mean it, but I know my son meant it. That's amazing. It's amazing to see God move when we finally call out to him. And the issue is that we often miss God's solutions because we're too busy failing at our own. I'm going to try one more, God. I'm going to try one more, God. I'm going to try one more, God. Keep rowing. So what do we do when we finally see Jesus in the storm? We see here Peter calling out. Let's read through this, and I want to share some things with you. Verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw, not the failure of Jesus, not the failure of walking on water. It didn't say that when he started to sink, he doubted. It said when he started to doubt, he sank. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Wait a second. He he already said that earlier. Call to me and I'll come. Call to me, God, and and I'll come. I'll respond to you. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Some translations put me at the end. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? Peter, you were walking on water. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but it was windy. Let's rewind this, Peter. You were walking on the water, Peter. Yeah, but there were lots of waves made of water, and you were walking on top of that. Why did you doubt me, Peter? And none of us can relate to that because, you know, God's called us, and and when things get hard, we stay focused. No. No, we forget. We forget. And who do we doubt? Well, we don't doubt us because our us plan didn't work, so obviously God was wrong. No. No, the problem wasn't us. I mean, it wasn't him. Sorry. Whew. So what do we do when we finally see Jesus in the storm? I want to take an example from, G- from, from Peter. Number one, 
don't hesitate and give everything to him. What it doesn't say is Peter stuck his leg out and said, but, but it's wet. Peter didn't say, call to me and I'll walk out to you. What did it say? Call to me and I'll come to you. Peter was content that no matter what, Jesus was the goal, not walking to him. It doesn't say, Jesus, I want to do what you're doing. Can I, can I come out there and play? Peter says, if it's you, I'm coming to you. Come hell or high water, literally in this case, I'm coming to you. He was okay with that when he took that step. We have to realize that when we, when we call out to Jesus and he responds and we hear him and we see him, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Give everything to him. Here's the next part, though. Peter, I'm sure, can you imagine, Peter steps out in the water. He's kind of kind of getting ready to step out and jump in and kind of does one of these. And then starts walking. He starts going right towards Jesus. Now, why? I don't know. I don't understand this. If I'm walking on water, I'm literally invincible at that point in time. I don't care what's going on. Peter looks at this, and I want to encourage us with the second point here. What do we do when we finally see Jesus? Is we need to do stay focused on him and not the circumstances. Because remember, holiness is the goal, not happiness. The circumstances themselves will still be bad. The problems will still be coming at us. But we didn't take the step because of circumstances. We took the step because of Jesus. We took the step because he was our goal. Not because we understood everything. See, that's what faith does. It says, I know him. I know Jesus. And because of him, I'll take those steps. And it's worth it. Stay focused when you do take that step. Why do I see these two points here? <laughs> see, joy doesn't come from joy. That's why I say don't seek joy. Joy doesn't come from joy. Joy is a product of contentment and faith in that which we've put our trust in. It's easy to be content when you know that everything can fall apart around you and you're still good. And it's why I joke with people when I've done one-to-one evangelism classes or, or, or talked about street evangelism and the fear that comes into some of those discussions. And I say to them, I said, listen, listen, listen. What's the worst that could happen? You live? We're acting, we act like death is a bad thing. Well, I mean, what, they could say mean words to me. Oh, I could do that now and get it out of the way. I don't, by the way. We have to get our fear under control and look at, are we, are we really going to Jesus? And whatever is in between there, we're with him. Or is it, well, I'll come to you, Jesus, but here's the conditions. I want the water flat when I walk on it. No. Peter says, I want Jesus. Now, he had to ask a few questions a few times. He had to look at the circumstances and the situation and wonder, oh, man, is this really, really what should be going on? And the challenge I have for us 
is when we doubt, we say that the mountain is stronger than the mountain mover. Now think of that. When we doubt, we say that the problem in our life is stronger, deserves our devotion and allegiance and attention more than the Creator Himself. You know what that's called in one word? Blasphemy. Ow. Remember, God teaches me, and then I have to teach you what I learned. This, this, is, this is fun. Because guess what I found out I do a lot of? That. God repeatedly had to ask me the question in the first week and a half of our vacation as we're going between doctor visits and specialists and driving way too many miles on other people's cars. Do you want me or do you want you, Joe? You know what my answer was? Yes. And here comes the quote, right? I'll put one cheek and you can have more. In fact, I'll just kind of lean. You can have most of it, God. But I got to have this one because I'm tired. But that's not what he knows is best for us. So what did he have to do? He had to keep shoving me off the stool. And what did I do when I got shoved off the stool? I threw a hissy fit. I was a stinking baby. But God! I remember my devotion time. God, you, you know everything. And you know I am so cooked right now. I absolutely need this vacation. And within three hours, my son's over here trying to do the whole alien grasshopper arm thing backwards. What? Oh, he's going to do a miracle and heal him. No, Joe, I'm going to do a miracle and actually make you stop looking for your own way and look for mine. That's a miracle, God. That's not easy to deal with. We all want it our way. Don't you dare judge me either. You want it your way. Go to a restaurant when you order the food. You know what? Don't want a menu. I'm okay with whatever you bring me. What if they brought you nothing? And charge you 50 bucks. We're not okay with someone else being in charge of our life. None of us are. I know what's best. We, most of us prove that for most of our life. And it was the opposite. The disciples, Peter, poor Peter, sitting here, sinking in the water, crying out, Lord, save me. The man who grabs his hand to save him, Jesus, had empowered him to walk on top of the very water that he was now sinking into. And when he's holding hands with this man to get into the boat, verse 32 says, and when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Now, can you imagine being Peter? I'm sitting there in my sleeping bag like Peter, you know, hanging out on the beach afterwards, and I'm just sitting there thinking, man, I was walking on water, and and the storm stopped when Jesus got in the boat. I could have just kept going. I could have just kept walking on water with him, like, God, don't make the storm stop. I just want to be with you. It's me. I just, I, do we really just want God? Do we really want him there with us?
Verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly. That's a statement of conviction. Absolutely, positively, I am convinced you are the Son of God. And these are Jews saying you're the Son of God. And that is a phrase that's prophetic from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of God, meaning that, that the monogonies, the, the, the one and only, never before, never, never going to be seen again, Jesus Christ. They admitted he was the Messiah. God in the flesh, I am is here, he said. Truly you are. Not after the loaves and fishes. Not after some of the other miracles. Not after the Sermon on the Mount. Not after the time where he spent sharing the parables of how the kingdom will operate. But after going through a horrific storm, despairing of life, absolutely delirious to the point that seeing Jesus walking in the water, they're flipping out going, it's a ghost. Then, with Jesus in the boat, they see. And that was Jesus' entire goal. His whole focus was to get them to the point where they will stop and say, I want just you, Jesus, to see his might and his glory and worship him. That's always his goal. He's a God that is constantly about himself, and that's a good thing. I don't want him about me. I want his mission to be mine. There's a couple things I want us to think about as we close in this section. Don't even get excited. I still got another page of notes on the closing. The first thing I want us to think about Jesus wants to be in the boat with us, not because of the boat, not because of the water, not because of the storm, but because of us. Jesus wants to be in the boat. How do I know that? It is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. He said, come. Later on, he says, and when he got into the boat, Jesus does what Jesus wants. He wanted to be in the boat. God doesn't give us trials and struggles in our life so that we can learn a lesson. He gives us trials and struggles in our life so we can learn Him. Now, that may be the lesson He's trying to teach us, but it's not a vindictive lesson like many of us as parents or teachers or whoever it is have done with others. Of, well, I just want you to learn. No, really, we just want to watch them suffer because they made us suffer. If we really desired holiness, yes, we would watch them struggle, but we would be praying through it all. We would be guiding them through it all. We would do it to, the, to the, the, the detriment of ourselves, not to the enjoyment of ourselves. And Jesus did that perfectly in his sacrifice. That he came to this earth, and in order to make us holy, to the detriment of himself, yes, we did suffer, but he suffered ultimately to do what? To get in the boat with us. He literally endured hell conquered it and came back and said it's done and come to me there's victory there's victory you'll see here in Acts chapter 17 no you won't I probably forgot it I had a lot of technical issues this morning here's what I want us to look at for number two and this is a, this is a weird one 
before I even say it, you're reading it. I know for me personally, and it may be the same for you, or maybe I'm just a weirdo in this case. So many times I hear in the Christian circles, don't worry about being happy. You need to, you need to make sure that, that you have joy. And, and oftentimes that turns into seeking joy. It's like, oh, oh, I'm happy, so something must not be, be, be really right because it could get taken away. There's nothing wrong with the circumstances causing our emotions to struggle with balance, whatever it is. It's how we find that balance in those emotions. When the emotions come, who has control of them? Oftentimes, as Christians, we will seek joy and say, I just need to be okay with the fact that it's terrible. No, we need to be okay with the fact that we're with God when it's terrible. And it's a little bit of, a, of splitting a hair, but it's important for us why I say, don't seek joy, seek Jesus. Because joy is a funny thing. Joy is, joy is like grabbing at, at a cloud. We'll see it. We'll see that, that that's joy. And as we reach for it, what do we do? We take our will back from God and grasp. And guess where, their joy, where joy is not found? Outside of him. Now, we can have temporary things that they're not contentment-based, they're, they're emotionally-based. And the reason I say don't seek joy is because if, if I say seek joy, then they're going to be seeking deliverance from the storm as if the storm is the problem. Don't seek deliverance from the storm in your life. That's not an easy prayer. That's not an easy prayer to say, God, I just want you to take these, these things from me. That's not a bad thing to pray. It's if we use a comma or a period at the end of that prayer to show what our will really is. Jesus himself shared the human side of his will. I don't want to go through this. Take this suffering from me. But ultimately, I want what you want. So if we're seeking the deliverance from the storm and we say, period, we're not going to have joy because we're seeking the circumstances to take care of us and not our Jesus. And I want us to realize that that gives us the ability to be the master of our problems. And here, here's something to remember. Joy does not come from being master of our problems. Happiness does because we're control freaks, every single one of us. But joy does not come from being master of our problems, but being a servant of Jesus. If at the end of the day, Jesus really is the one who's in charge of the situation, and the situation changes, who doesn't? Jesus. But if the situation itself is why we say, I, I just, I love being a Christian, and, and I remember talking with a guy years ago. This is a little bit, little, little, little bit of one of my pet peeves. There's a guy that every time you asked him how he was doing, he responded with blessed. It really bothers me because that's like saying, how are you doing? I'm breathing oxygen. It's a Captain Obvious moment for me. Of course you're blessed. The, the Bible says that. How are you doing? How is it really going? Blessed. No, seriously, man. Tell me what's really going on. I'm just blessed and highly favored. You're more highly flavored right now. What's really going on with you? Then come to find out. Kids walking away from God, barely talks to a spouse. Things are falling apart in, in other ministries that he's involved with. All these kinds of things, as if pronouncing and ignoring the problem was what was real. 
So I said to him, I said, you know, why don't you try this? Life is terrible, but God is good. If, the, if that's how things really are, then just say that. Well, well I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if I can do that. Why? Well, it might make Jesus look bad. Why? If we're selling a brand of Christianity that says as soon as you accept Jesus, boom, it's unicorns and lollipops and rainbows for the rest of your life. We've got a problem. We're saved unto the next life, not to this one. It's very important for us to realize that Christianity, again, is not about happiness, but about holiness. It's about being set apart for him, not for me. And as I process some of these things, God, in my devotion time, was praying for my son. It was about two days after he had had the injury, and we had had one doctor visit. I'm just I'm looking at the situation. We're in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. And we don't know the doctors. We don't have insurance. We're trying to go through and figure out what, what are we going to do in this scenario. And I'm freaking out of my mind. And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. And it's one of those situations, you guys know this, like when you're praying and you can almost hear it bouncing off the wall in front of you. And I remember God's question. I hear what you want, but do you want what I want? Do you want what I want, Joe? You know, my first answer was no. No, no, because my vacation is now ruined because of this, God. My wife doesn't get to see her family like we had planned on. And I'm not okay with that. I don't want to see her sad. My son now has to go to doctors and specialists, and we have to drive six or 700 miles total back and forth between Nashville and the place that we were staying, which is a two-hour drive. Four to five hours on the road every day trying to figure out what's going on. I'm not okay with that, God. Do you want me, Joe, or do you want you? That's not an easy question to answer. And it seems petty in some cases when when someone may look on it and they have a much deeper, much more terrible problem. But that was what God used to continuously get me to answer the question that several days later we meet up and, and, and we finally make it to, it was a number seven pediatric orthopedic surgeon in the nation, and we're sitting there in the office talking to him, and he looks at us and he goes, you know, I feel like he needs another x-ray. Because if something's happening in there, and, and I see this thing in the x-ray, he's not going to need surgery. I'm thinking, okay, well, that's not what two other doctors said and everything. He says, let's just do the x-ray. You guys okay with that? I'm thinking, you, you can take like 500 x-rays if it means we don't have to worry about surgery. That's awesome. So he does the x-ray, comes into the doctor's office afterwards and says, you know, here, let's look at this. He's got a whole lot going on in there. And, of course, that statement's like, you're toying with me now. He shows us the x-ray and says, this bone has moved closer together now. It's, it's going to grow back together without surgery. The one bone that had separated and kind of come out, not, not compound, had, had gotten closer over time. By the way, he had like a dinner napkin as a sling. It was kind of funny. The master of my plans was God. Why didn't you just catch him before he hit the ground? Being the master of my problems was God. Make another branch be there so he could just grab that and he's fine. 
But the master of his life said he needed to fall. Now, either I'm God for my son or the Almighty is. That's a, that's a big decision that I had to make. So the doctor says, as long as I can see you guys in about two weeks and we can change the cast out of whatever, we'll be good. And I said, we're leaving in 48 hours to go down south, even further to go visit my family in Florida. And he stopped. He goes, we're going to do a special cast for him then. So they used material, which was funny because the guys in Alaska here were like, man, what's this cast made of? I've never seen this before. Yes. That's a Jesus cast. <laughs> Got a chance to share the whole testimony with the cast crew in the, in the hospital, share the whole testimony of why God brought us to Alaska. Got a chance to laugh and have fun. This little guy, this little goober was smiling for the first time. And we went back to now officially begin our vacation. And the temptation in those situations for all of us, whew, thanks God, you're the best. It is. And we'll give glory to his name. We're 36 hours ago, what are we saying? How dare you? We are. So what happens the next day when my wife and I wake up, we have a great breakfast with family. You know, we're just going to hop in the car, drive 45 minutes and pick up our rental car because we're going to drive a rental car from Tennessee to Florida. You know what God said? No, you're not. Wife and I are driving, and I'm always sweet when I don't get my needs met. I'm very gentle and very patient and very calm. I'm easy to deal with, right? Like most of you men out there, right? We're driving along. My poor wife is in the passenger seat. And we're looking at the time. She's like, um, it shows that the Hertz place that we're going to is closed at noon, but our reservation is at noon. Guess what wasn't open? Hertz. Guess where the next open place was? Nash Stinkingville. Guess which parking lot wasn't open at the Nashville airport? The one that was close. We had to walk on the corona of the sun to get to the rental car location. It was a half a mile across the surface of the sun to get to the rental car location. I still did not want him. I wanted me. I'm throwing a fit. And my, I love my wife. She grabs my hand and says, we're just going to enjoy a walk together. You know what I did? I don't want to. So we get the rental car. Of course, here's what we had to do. As normal Christians, as normal humans, what did I do? Well, they don't have what we need there, so we're just going to have to settle. Okay, We have a big compartment for, for luggage. We can put one of the smaller children in there so we don't get in trouble. So we get there, and they're like, oh, yeah, you've got this rental. So he grabs his little iPad, and he's going around. He's talking. Hey, where are you guys from? Well, we're from Alaska. And, and they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. I'm originally from Florida. And I go, well, actually, that's where I'm originally from. He goes, oh, really? Where are at? He says, I was in West Palm. I'm like, wow, it's like an hour and a half north of that. He's like, oh, Florida. And he, and he came at me, gave me a Florida brother hug. If you're from Florida, you know what it is. And immediately he's like, oh, man, it's been forever since I felt that. And he walks up and he's like, well, I don't see the van that you guys rented, but I've got this 2018 luxury SUV that's got all the seats you need, the most incredibly comfortable seats I've ever sat in in my life, and I'll just give it to you for the same price. 
but we had settled. So like good holy Christians, we said, no, we'll take the Yaris. <laughs> no, I gave him a hug and I said, thank you, this is awesome. Ended up saving $250 on top of what we had originally budgeted to pay. This thing was sweet. 2018 Armada. I think they had like 97 different cameras and sensors on it. You couldn't breathe without it asking you, was that okay? <laughs> so when I look at the situation, I'm driving back. My wife's in the rental car because I'm a good husband. And I'm driving back in the little tiny car that we borrowed, which I still have back problems from sitting in it. And I called her and I said, I'm sorry. And I just shared with her the testimony that God had worked on me. And I, and I had gotten my heart to a point where I said, God, if Simon needs two surgeries, I'm okay because it's what you want. I have to want what you want, God. And if you have to flay his arm open and he has to reconstruct everything in there, God, I'm okay with it because I want what you want. And I genuinely meant that until it came to a stinking rental car, and I wasn't okay with that. And what am I doing as I'm driving back before I call my wife? I said, Joe, you didn't want me again. You wanted you. And so instead of enjoying a car ride with your wife, you had to have a hissy fit all the way there. Instead of enjoying a warm walk with your wife, you had a brat attack, Joe. Instead of praying for the opportunity of an open door to share the gospel with somebody, Joe, you chose that you wanted what you wanted. Of course, they don't have the van. And I had to say, Kelly, I'm sorry, because I knew better. Because just yesterday night, when as I was going to bed praying, I said, God, I want you. And the next morning I said, well, mostly. I can't believe it. And I said, I'm sorry, Kelly, I ruined it. I do want him. I do want what he wants, not what I want. And, and guys, here's the thing. I have to do this. You have to do this every day. Every single day. Why do we say that it's important to have every single day time in prayer and time in Scripture? Why? Because every day we have to answer the question, do you want me or do you want you? That's why I'm, I'm so particular even with my own kids. And the first thing that someone talks to me about when they want to have counseling and whatever, my first question is, how was your relationship with Jesus? It's great. When was the last time you prayed? Oh, I tell Jesus what to do all the time. Okay. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you read some scripture? When was the last time you applied it? And the next question, what did the pastor teach on last weekend? If we're applying what God teaches, it says his word is alive and active. We're the ones that are dead sometimes. I want us to realize, you'll see in this scripture, getting to the end of that testimony, Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Don't look at the wind around you. Remain in his love. Next says this, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. When you actually are doing what I've said, when I say come to me, Peter, I meant come to me, Peter. Not through your own abilities. Joe, when I said you're going to go pick up a rental car, I didn't say where or how. I told you to get the rental car, Joe. 
The one that I have for you, not the one that you have for you. Man, I couldn't be okay with that. And I'm thinking, just like Peter in the car, I'm like, man, God, I could have just stopped and said, you know what, God, whatever you want. But what did I say? You know what, God, why am I not getting what I want? And I missed it. And in his grace, I still was blessed, which I do not understand. I would have punched myself in the face if I was God. Just as I obey my father, his commandments, and remain in his love. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When we seek after our self, deliverance of the storm, when we seek after joy, we're disobeying this. Because he says what? Not remain in happiness. Not, re- not remain in joy. He says remain in me. Remain in me. Number three. We miss Jesus. In my testimony, I miss Jesus. And throw him out of the boat because we're too focused on our own desires. We do. We'll be sitting there rowing and rowing and go, what is this dead weight here? (laughs) Rowing and rowing and rowing. Actually, that's paddling. Rowing would be this, right? constantly here's my solutions whatever that is doesn't fit that's Jesus what do I want the accomplishment of all my plans and desires or the accomplishment of his now you can guess which way we all lean and we all fail, and in his grace, why? I do not understand it, but I've told people before, they have this incredible testimony, and I've even shared with them, I say, you know what, I just don't, I struggle sometimes when I share my testimony of I was saved when I was young, and I've followed Jesus ever since, and they said, Joe, don't you ever badmouth that testimony. That makes God look bigger than the fact that he can pick up trash and wipe it off. He proved he was faithful, that if you obey him, he will guide you and protect you through your life and do great things in you. I just proved the fact that he can make a new creation. It's amazing sometimes how much we minimize God accomplishing his work in us, accomplishing his desires. And I love Matthew 14, 31. We just read it right away. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Your faith is so small. Why did you doubt me? Oh, oh, Jesus, I didn't, I didn't doubt you, Jesus. It's just really windy. I didn't doubt you, Jesus. The water's just really wet today. No. When we have fear and doubt, we tell the mountain, wow, you sure are big. I guess Jesus can't handle you. When in the other sense, we should be looking at it going, wind, you got nothing on me. I'm going to Jesus. Can you imagine if he would have, like, all of a sudden sprouted wings and started gliding? I mean, who knows what this miracle could have looked like had Peter not done what all of us do and said, God, I trust you. Oh, wait, it's still scary. The God who could see fit to move bones in my son's arm without us manipulating any of it so he didn't need surgery, provide for us a doctor that was the number one in the nation on that side of the coast. 
was not big enough to make sure we got a rental car. Good job, Joe. And then I called my wife, like I said, and apologized. Here's the last thing I want us to think about, and this is when we'll close. If the guys from Temple Vale wanted to come up, we'll close in a song together. But here's what I want us to think about as we close. Who do you seek? Who is it that you're seeking? I'll ask the same question for you that I had in my mind, and that was, what do you want, him or you? God had to constantly ask me that. And, and, you, and you get here into to verse 33, and it says, and those who were in the boat started yelling at Jesus, going, well, why didn't you make the storm go away when you were on the shore? We saw you on the shore. You just stood there and watched us, your arms crossed, just looking at us. I mean, we thought you were a ghost. That's not what they said. So here's the pattern I want us all to realize. Whether you have accepted Christ before or not, here's what I want us all to realize. The life following Christ is a moment-by-moment decision that he is on the throne and you are not. So Christianity is not about the fact that we said a prayer 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 minutes ago. It's about a matter of the fact when God says, here's my will, what do we say? Yes or no? It's important to remember that every day of our life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do two things. We're going to pray. And then as we sing this song, I want to challenge those of you that want to say two things, yes to God in the boat and yes to God being in charge to come forward and pray again at the end. But are we really serious about not only inviting him in the boat, but not kicking him out when it, kicking him out when it gets hard? So with every head bowed, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for having such amazing grace. For even when we make such dumb decisions and choose to say, God, I, I wanted my way. Why isn't it going my way? To still give us the time of day. still orchestrate things in our life that we do not deserve. Thank you for getting in the boat. Even though Peter sank, he still got in the boat. Thank you, God, for speaking and working. And may every day in our lives be saying yes to you and seeking you not circumstances, not joy, not happiness, not seeking anything that goes away and flees, but seeking the very source of joy. That, that in following these commands from you, our joy may be full. And not just our joy, but it will be your joy that fills us to overflowing because of you, not the fact we found it. Amen. Amen.